0: Oh, who was it it was um elijah wood shows up last minute is like guys yes! i'm the guy like, I'm and he was guy. glowing and it was super epic and he died immediately and so they're all like oh crap we lost him. <laughs> it was fantastic
1: greetings travelers welcome back to tales from the enchanted forest with your animal companions box and sparrow sego so good to be here if you've been following us on twitter at from enchanted then you will know that we have fallen from great heights to bring you this story some of us fell some of
0: us know how to fly thank you very much i i don't want to brag but i got some awards as a kid uh of being a flyer so i'm a bit of an expert
1: wow a bird that can fly yeah what an exotic creature you are
0: well i have been told that i am a bit exotic Um, I don't want to brag, but it's completely true.
1: (laughs) Our story today has been taken in part from Keller George, a Wolf Clan member of the Haudenosaunee Nation, who recounted the tale from his maternal great-grandmother, but we also take into account variations of the myth from the rest of the Six Nations and folklorist Harriet Maxwell Converse. First Nation creation stories are rich in spirits, animals, and cycles. There are many variations on the same stories, but all of them are unique. This story comes from the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois First Nations, which include the Mohawk, the Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora peoples. We hope you are ready to fall for this story like we are. In the beginning, the earth was dark and covered in water. It was full of water animals like beavers, muskrats, ducks, and loons. Up above, there was another land where the happy spirits lived with the great spirit. This upper sky world had a massive crabapple tree with roots deep in the ground the spirits used to hold council. Now, the concept of the great spirit is common in many different First Nation cultures, but not necessarily in all of them or in the same way. The great spirit ranges from a creator deity to a great mystery, or the concept of a great mystery.
0: Would you say it's similar to the Norse mythology myth of Yggdrasil, the great tree of the whole world that connects the nine realms?
1: So the crabapple tree is kind of a gateway between the worlds, and it kind of does seem like it is one of those great trees that we talk about in different myths, so the tree of life, the tree of knowledge. Um, it's a bit uncertain about to what extent. The crab apple tree represents a tree of life. It definitely goes on within the myth to become a life giver because once it falls, the animals go down, and they find the different parts of it to bring back up to create what will become land. Mm. So to some extent, it does mirror the Norse myth. It's not so much connecting the realms as it is a gateway between them.
0: Well we see this idea of this great tree a lot, like as was mentioning Yggdrasil from Uh, Norse mythology but we see that also in modern media media i believe in the uh, james cameron avatar they also had that one tree that was the tree that was needed to be protected then there's also avatar the last airbender the great swamp had that tree that ang was able to tap into be able to connect to all of life so this idea of a tree connecting super far through its roots and just kind of representing nature it's kind of a common thing and maybe this is one of the first records of it or earlier records anyways.
1: Yeah, it would make sense to have these great spirits up on kind of the sky world and then to have the lower water world. I mean, the ideas of sky, water, and earth are some of the three main concepts that make up almost all creation myths. If we look at Greek mythology, we have Gaia, we have Uranus, we have these two things that come together to make the world as it is. Mm -hmm. So I think these concepts are similar, Throughout creation myths, a tree makes kind of a good metaphor for something that connects all life because the roots can go down so deep into the earth and they can connect other ones. They can have off branches. And so we see this a lot. It's a quite a common theme, as you've mentioned. I know. You know why? Because we're connected. <laughs> The Great Spirit also thinks this tree is super cool, so he pulls it up, and a pit was created where the roots were. Looking down into this pit, the Great Spirit saw the dark lower water world, and called his daughter over. The Great Spirit said, Let us make a new place where other people can grow. Under our council tree is a great sea of clouds, which calls out for light. And so he covers his pregnant daughter in light, and gently lowers her into the pit. The Glowing Woman became known as the Sky Woman by everyone watching her float downwards. Like the Great Spirit, Sky Woman or Sky Mother has lots of different names and lots of different versions. In the Huron nation, her name is Atahensik, the goddess of childbirth femininity, and in others, she has no name and accidentally falls into the pit. For example, the Seneca and Wendat peoples tell the tale of her as the chief's ill daughter who fell or was pushed through a hole. And ends up in the water world.
0: Rude. You're going to push her through and then she's going to fall down. As far as she knows, this is like the water temple. And you're never going to get out without a guide because who designed that level? I'm not bitter. Continue.
1: (laughs) Well, in this version of the myth, she is being gently lowered down with the great spirit's powers and she's covered in light. So like angelic music going and a beam of light. and All that jazz? Yes, exactly. Knew it. So the water animals down below, they see this woman falling, and they were quite terrified of this new light entering their darkness. However, as she continued to fall, the animals mustered up their courage and returned to the surface to watch her. (laughs) But as they watched, the animals became more and more worried. Who was this woman, and what would happen to her when she landed in the water? I mean, did she know how to swim? I have to imagine that there's at least a group of these animals who are starting to take bets like,
0: I don't think she can swim. She's going to just hit the water like a rock and poof. gone she is. And the other's like, she, she's probably going to fly. I bet she's going to fly. I'll put two fish down that she's going to fly right before she hits the water. I imagine some bets were made and someone got rich that day and maybe their stock market crashed. I don't know. I think some guys were just having fun with this. <laughs> You're not going to tell me all of these animals are super good and pure and like, yes, we all need help. Like some of them are probably jerks and going... I could profit off of this.
1: See, in the version of the myth we tell to our children and Around the Fireside, I think we will say, oh, you know, they all wanted to help and they were all worried. But I do agree that if if we were to humanize the animals, some of them would be very freaked out, first of all, by her, because they don't know who she is, they don't know what she is. She's the weirdest creature they've probably seen. And then secondly, they're probably trying to figure out, why is she floating? Is this, is this what she's supposed to be doing? Is she supposed to land in the water and then she'll just keep going down? Uh, so it doesn't seem like there's much of a plan in terms of what's going to happen after she floats down.
0: And it sounds like she's also floating for a while. Like They have time to discuss this before she <laughs> hits the water.
1: It's like one of those comic scenes when you see something falling and everyone panics and they realize, oh, it's, ta- it's taking quite a while. Maybe we'll just go grab dinner and then come back and finish yeah. the rest of this. I am a fan of
0: when characters are falling, but then they're falling for way too long and they get bored. I think that happened in Spy Kids and Gravity Falls, and I was a big fan both times it happened.
1: <laughs> so was I. It's very Alice in Wonderland where she's going down the hole and she's going over and oh, and it's taking forever for her to actually land anywhere. And so at some point, you must get bored of falling.
0: And then you're just chilling, waiting for your demise. (laughs) I like how you went to Alice in Wonderland, the absolute classic and probably origin of that trope. And then I'm like, ah, spy kids.
1: Well, I do remember it very... Like, I do remember it fondly from Sky Kids. Uh, Sky, Sky Kids. <laughs> Spy Kids. I would watch it. I do remember it from Spy Kids because I think it was in the second one with the island of the weird creatures. And yeah. that was a fantastic movie. I think all those different creations and the animals and, like, the mashups they had, oh. the zoo, was so strange. And then for them to use it again in the... um. Oh, do they, I can't remember, do they show up in the third one? They show up in, right
0: at the end. Yes, the
1: cameo. Yeah, It was the original Avengers, When every, yes! you know, Endgame, and when everyone shows up. That was it for Spy Kids, when everyone shows up at the end, and you're seeing, like, the good guys, the bad guys, all the monsters. That was... Like, the Avengers music might as well have started playing because that was it for me as a kid. I lost my mind. I was like, everyone's here. It's like a cameo fest. Do you, it was great. Do
0: you also remember that the whole plot of, like, the third movie was that, oh, they have to find the guy who's essentially the chosen one. The original sword art online. But they were I mean, like, come on. we got to find the guy. And then the whole time, they're like, who's the guy? We got to find the guy. And then oh, who was it? It was um, Elijah Wood shows up last minute. Is like, guys yes! i'm the guy like, I'm and he was guy. glowing and it was super epic and he died immediately and so they're all like oh crap we lost
1: him. <laughs> it was fantastic see oh my god i i loved spy kids i oh. know people had mixed feelings about it and people who watch it now will but definitely like you know be weird about it yeah but alexa vega was an icon she I think, and I watched her as a child I loved her she mm-hmm. she could sing she could act yeah she was hot like she was pretty and she, she was, a, was spy. a spy like yeah. what more could you want in a girl crush I was like this is it this is the peak of my childhood Alexa Vega as Carmen Cortez
0: I wanted her to be my best friend for sure
1: I didn't know what would come next. Like, who could beat Carmen Cortez as you know your girl crush Monday? She was the absolute best. And I think the iconic part where she's in the game and she's you know the spy that gets sent in and she shows up that moment when her like there's wind blowing in her hair and (laughs) she we see her that was fantastic. I uh, Junie was a hit or miss for me, but Carmen Cortez, come on.
0: Those movies did not age well, but. They were not. I mean, they were low budget films to begin with, but gosh, they were fun. They were so much fun.
1: Most movies, I think, the nostalgia factor is what makes people keep watching them. Yeah. Because obviously, if they were going to do Spy Kids now, you know, not including Spy Spy Kids Four, we because that's like Home Alone Four. Who watches that? No. Anyway, it's the nostalgia factor. If we if we did it again, obviously it'd be fantastic. It would be cool, and it'd be fun, and it'd be trendy. But. I think that that's one of those movies where we should leave it the way it was, because it was just, it was great the way it was. We don't want Spy Kids 4, we don't want Spy Kids 5, we don't want a remake of Spy Kids, we want Spy Kids the way it was, because everyone in that movie was great for what they were doing.
0: Yeah. If they ever tried to make another one, I would say up your writing budget, but that's the only thing. Leave it low budget everywhere else, but you know, your writing, just because I'm older now, I'll expect a little more from my writing. But everything else, I want the super low budget, super obvious CGI nonsense. I want it all. I don't want the cheesiness. Ugh. <laughs> but don't actually. Leave it the way it is. Well, it's perfect.
1: <laughs> while everyone was placing their bets and watching Spy Kids taking a break to go onto Rotten Tomatoes and leave a 100% star rating for These. Spy Kids, the beaver decides to take charge. And he tells the other animals to hurry and find a dry place for her to land. He then dives deep into the water to search for the earth below. After a while, his dead body floats up. In this fashion, all the animals try to dive deep down and get some earth, but they all failed. Eventually, the muskrat tries, and the other animals assume that he's also going to fail. But when his little body floats up, in his claws, he had some of the earth that had been on the roots of the crabapple tree. Mm -hmm. The water animals summoned the great turtle, now known as the mythical Hanuna, and put the earth on his back. As they put the earth, the turtle started growing, and the earth on his back started growing, and it grew and grew and grew, becoming the island of North America. In this time, the leader of the swans flew his flock up to catch the Sky Woman and lowered her onto the new island. Wait a minute, hold on. They only now thought maybe we should help her?
0: They were just letting her fall while they were doing this, and then they finally got a place and like, should we actually catch her? or something maybe just direct her over why did not they not start with that
1: (laughs) well i'm i'm sure when they first saw her because she was a beam of light when she first came down they were a bit worried she was like falling but if she is the only light in the otherwise dark world they can kind of track her coming down and she was floating i mean it was the great spirit that let her down so she was perfectly safe i think Once they had a place for her to land, they obviously went and got her and brought her down. In some versions of the myth, she ends up on the turtle's back first, and then she works with him to make the island grow by walking in circles around his back. In others, she lands in the water, and then they use, they find the turtle. So the variations make it a bit different. But I like the one where the turtle comes up, and then they make the island for her first. Mm Mm-hmm seems like a good team effort i love the idea and the concept of turtle island and north america being on the back of this giant turtle it just seems so mythical so fun and it reminds me so much of avatar the last airbender <laughs> our favorite shout out our on this favorite. show is obviously always avatar yeah. but the lore of avatar the last airbender is so complex and so cool i remember watching and seeing the lion turtles in Avatar and being like, well, that's a bit weird. Why didn't they go more into that? And then they do it in Korra and it's Mm -hmm. fantastic to see the evolution, how they were the originators of the bending.
0: So yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about the great turtle later in the five fantastic finds, but you're right. The great turtle just showing up and being a champ, letting them use his back is good. But I really want to shout out the muskrat because I didn't know what a muskrat was until I heard this tale. And I still feel like if you Gave me a lineup of creatures i still wouldn't be able to point it out but good for him making his debut here on the podcast and just being an absolute champ we could not have land without him so good job muskrat <laughs> we salute thee your sacrifice was not good in job, vain. Muskrat.
1: <laughs> someone else who appreciated the turtle island was the sky woman who finally had a place to land after some time though she starts to hear two voices in her heart one is calm and one is angry. Knowing she's about to give birth, she braces herself and soon gives birth to the Doyo Dano, the twins. The first twin was the good spirit, called Hagwe Diyo, or in some traditions, sapling. And the second was the evil spirit, Hague Deitka, or flint. His birth was disastrous as he burst out from the Sky Woman's side, killing her. In order to commemorate his mother, the good spirit used her glowing face to create the sun, and her body to make the moon and stars. The rest of her he buried deep into the ground so that she could nourish the earth as the earth mother. From her body, the first corn, beans, and pumpkins grew. There are some very important variations to this myth. One such being that Sky Woman gives birth to Mother Earth, a daughter, who then gives birth to three sisters, corn, beans, and pumpkins, or squash. And then she also gives birth to two twins, the doyodano, who then go on to become the good spirit and the evil spirit. The three sisters are a very important part of a lot of First Nation traditions and culture because they used to grow them together, and they used to grow in harmony.
0: When I was doing my research on the story, the one variation I came across was that
1: Skywoman gave birth to
0: a daughter who wasn't explicitly Mother Earth, but I think we can say that as well. But then Mother Earth was then impregnated by the Wind of the West. And then mm-hmm. she had the two twins, the good and the evil spirit. Um, and that all happened to her. And when Sky Woman came along, seeing that her daughter is dead, looks at the two twins and asks what happened. And the evil spirit said he did it, pointing to his brother. And so Sky Woman always ended up favoring Evil spirit. I don't know how that plays into everything else, but so far that was the one variation I've noticed. So, yeah, there's a a lot of cool different variations on this myth, and it's to be expected because the story comes from a couple of different groups, and any story that goes through all these variations is naturally going to come up with inconsistencies or variations. It's kind of what we've always expected from stories like this, but it's also what makes them, as we always say, so interesting.
1: I personally love the imagery of twins and how they're paralleled as good and evil as coming from the same source. We see this in the Bible through Cain and Abel, as well as Roman mythology as Romulus and Remus, and we almost always have a twin that's portrayed as inherently good and one that's portrayed as inherently bad, but We always remember that they're twins, and so they come from the same. They both have good and evil within them, it's just the one that they show that becomes their defining characteristic.
0: You're absolutely right. These stories of twins are really interesting. We have seen them a lot in a bunch of different traditions and religions, but I think the reason for that is because we see two different entities come at the same time, twins, identical twins, they look the same they genetically the same, but they're not the same person at the end of the day. They are two different individuals. The idea of twins gives us the feeling that these are two different paths one could take. I really believe that when we use twins as imagery, it's really to show that people are capable of great good and great evil. While we have two people come from the same source, we can see they're making drastically different decisions in their life, that leading them down different paths. So I think that's why twins are so fascinating because you look at them and think, well, I could go down this road and be good or it could be bad. Obviously, those are two extremes. But it's really, at the end of the day, what we're thinking about is could I be different? Could I born as I am with what I was given? Can I be different than what I am right now?
1: I agree. And I think one thing that we miss a little bit from these creation stories where we have twins is that they almost, they're given their goodness or badness right off the bat. Like Mm -hmm. we know right off the bat from here that Sapling is going to be the good twin and Flint is going to be the bad twin. So I wonder if in some sense when we have these stories with twins and we acknowledge that they could be both, they could have the potential to be both, that we don't just shoehorn them into these plots and make it so that one is inherently good, one is inherently bad, and that's all there is to it. Um, Obviously, these are creation stories, they're mythology, so there's gonna be hyperbole, there's going to be things that are exaggerated for the sake of the story, and in some stories, you need to have this conflict between good and evil personified, and that's what all these stories are, really, is we have good and evil, and we personify in ways that we can understand as people, so we make them human. So in this way, In this kind of shoehorned way, the two spirits set about the world where the good spirit created trees, land animals, springs and rivers, but then the evil spirit tainted them with thorns, poisonous fruits and reptiles and dangerous currents. When the good spirit made the sun out of their mother, the evil spirit made the night." It's kind of like Thor going around being all happy-go-lucky and then Loki coming around and making like magicking thorns onto the creatures he's made.
0: And for the record, you were talking about the Marvel Thor and Loki, right? I
1: was I was 100% talking about the Marvel <laughs> Thor because Thor from Norse mythology is not that great of a guy oh and my he gosh, definitely does no. not have the luscious locks that Thor from Marvel does. So we have Marvel Thor, which is always portrayed as this good guy, the good brother, always wants to be, you know, wants to be friends with Loki and then we have real Norse Thor who is not that great of a guy, kind of a butthead. But yeah, so for clarification purposes, I am referring to Golden Luscious Locks, Malibu Barbie, Thor from Marvel.
0: One day we're going to play the 2018 God of War game together and we're going to (laughs) see the way they portray Norse mythology and you're going to be a lot more happy because they do a much better job than Marvel portraying how they actually would be.
1: See, I love it, but I love all the different takes we have on it. I mean, obviously I'm not going to go around saying Marvel Thor is... Thor, Odin's son is exactly as he's portrayed, but but it's nice to have different variations. But I do have a legitimate question here.
0: So Mm -hmm. you say that the evil spirit created night because the good spirit made the sun, but wasn't it dark to begin with? The good spirit put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. Does it feel like night just naturally kind of happened with the the rotation as it was? Like it feels like he took credit for something that just happened as a result of him adding light.
1: It might be then this story specifically, they portray it as he made the night by refusing to have the sunlight hit his area. Okay. Um, in some other variations they have it that he's banished to that side specifically because the sun won't touch that area, so the light won't touch it. So it's a bit more sinister on the side of the good, air quote, spirit. Um, In others, him and the sky woman, so the grandma at this variation, of course, they retreat to that area as a place to be away Mm -hmm. from the good spirit. So it depends on which version you read, but it could be read that he makes the night by refusing to have the sunlight touch his area, or it could be portrayed as him choosing to go to the area where there is no light um or the more sinister one obviously which is he was banished which is never a good thing when you banish the twin because then the twin becomes evil by default as we see in stories or tv shows or movies when you banish someone to the darkness they tend to become dark
0: yeah it's always a question right of does that banishment is the thing that makes them dark or were they already on that track anyways this just accelerated the process I think everyone's still capable of good and evil. It's just a matter of what choices you make. But at the end of the day, he's kind of been labeled as the evil spirit. So, you know, if that's what your name is, you're kind of going to lean into that a bit. You got to do what you got to do. He needs to rebrand himself. That's what he needs to do. Go on a whole, I'm not the evil spirit anymore. I am a guru of this product. And I'm just going to promote that.
1: Well, that's the entire argument of nature versus nurture, right? I mean, you have one brother who's called Sapling, and that means that he has potential to grow, and to be something big, and to give life. And then you name another brother Flint, or something that can have, cause a spark. And that spark doesn't necessarily need to be bad, or cause a fire that causes destruction, it's just what we've named him. And so it kind of becomes a contrast of are people who are born with more, I guess, darker tendencies, are they born that way? Can we collectively just say as a group that when people do bad things, they were born that way? Or did we do something to cause them? Was there some trauma in their life? Was there something that happened to them that made them this way? Um, Obviously, with Sky Woman, we hear that in her heart, she hears a calm voice, an angry voice. I mean, if you just came out into the world and you ended up killing your mother, you'd be a bit angry. So maybe it was Got just the prophecy. It's a it might be one of those like self-fulfilling prophecies where because you've thought about it so much or you've decided this is the way it's going to go, that it ends up happening.
0: I also just think names in of themselves, that does shape a lot about a person. Have you ever met someone with a specific name that tends to lean into traits?
1: No, but I do see it often on TV series or books where, like, the characters who kind of embody the same characteristics will be given the same names, the same kind of vein of names. But if, if, I mean, what you're saying is kind of true about, I mean, at the moment, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> the Karen phenomenon, people who have been named Karen online, you know, get their screenshots of their profiles or things they've said that have been very for lack of a better adjective, karen where they are complaining to a manager or they're complaining about something. And then now we have, you know, the Becky, the, Kay, the Kaylee, Ka- okay, Karen. Becky was a
0: thing before. Susan. Karen.
1: Well, yeah, but now you have a kind of like this, I guess it was um, Beyonce, I guess, who made Becky a thing. Your travelers, have you met people like this where they have a specific name <laughs> and they just
0: lean into what you would expect of someone with that name? Let us know but be
1: kind about it. (laughs) Before anything can have a name, it has to be created. So eventually the great spirit created man out of red clay and the evil spirit made the monkey out of sea foam.
0: (laughs) We're coming back to the sea foam, it seems.
1: Ugh, it's always sea foam. Maybe this is one of the reasons why we see sea foam as part of the story in Little Mermaid is because man was made out of red clay, monkeys were made out of sea foam, the Little Mermaid just turns into Seafoam and becomes a daughter of the air. If you have no idea what we're talking about, check out our episode on the Little Mermaid. The Mercast, episode three, I believe it was, or four. Yes. The two brothers fought about the state of the world, and the good spirit ended up challenging his brother to combat for the position as the ruler of the world. They fought using the thorns of the giant apple tree, and they fought for many days. The good spirit finally won in the end and banished his brother to the underworld. And so from his underworld, the evil spirit would send his minions up and would make men choose to do evil things.
0: Okay, but I cannot help but just imagine this great evil spirit sending those yellow minions into the world.
1: (laughs) The end is nigh. (laughs) I hate how now when you say minions, the first thing that always comes up in my head is those yellow minions i can never like there's henchmen there's so many other words to use but minion is so popular so whenever anyone says minion or i read the word minion i just i can't take it seriously anymore because i'm a very visual reader like i'll have the movie of the book playing in my head as i'm reading and so anytime i see minion now it's just it disrupts my entire fantasy world that's happening so thank you you got this
0: epic battle scene happening and then the evil one brings out his minions i want to see that as a gif now just like the battle of mordor but then the minions just come out fighting
1: <laughs> oh i'm sure if you look online there is like i'm sure someone's made that crossover okay, the minions to... the minion takeover of the entire internet and meme culture was so big and drastic that i think if we were to look up minions plus anything else there w- it would be there'd be content for it <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm going to do that right after this then. I
1: personally really like the story, minions aside, of the good spirit and the bad spirit in this kind of fight against each other. It's that same symbol of good and bad constantly at odds with each other that we have in yin and yang where there's good and there's evil but they both possess a bit of each other within themselves and so even though they're in constant flux and there's, you know, the good side might be winning today, their bad side is still there. And the story of the spirits ties into the belief that everyone has a good and bad heart. Everyone possesses good and evil within them, because they were made from the brothers, and no one is perfect. When men die, the good spirit takes in those who are good men during their death, and the evil spirit takes in those who are evil. I think the key thing here is that during their death, which implies that we're operating on the basis of nurture versus nature, because in your nature is both, so it's up to you to change and choose who you want to be. I think this is something that comes up a lot, not just in First Nation mythology, but in a lot of mythology. So I think the important part is that during their death, so it shows that men can choose to change and it's not just about who you are at your conception or what you are by nature, it's about what you are by nurture. So if you rise with your community to become someone who is a good man and you do something evil, that's not going to be held against you because People know that you have both inside of you. And I think that's something that comes up in a lot of different First Nation tales where we see people who are good decide to actively choose to keep being good or people who have done something evil choose to do good after it. It's not Mm. who you are, it's fixed. It's not a timeline of I am just evil and I'm going to do evil things throughout. I'm just going to be like the villain of this story. You can also be the good guy. Honestly, in modern media, I think we're seeing a lot of that. I know we talked about this before, but we're seeing a lot of bad guys who aren't really bad. It's like that scene in Wreck-It Ralph where it's like, yeah, I may be I a bad about. guy, but I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> but I'm not a bad guy. And that's not bad. Yeah, I think it it shows a lot of depth as well. Oh my gosh, I love that movie, Wreck-It
0: Ralph. I completely lost it when I saw that first trailer drop and I was like, Bowser is the same room as... Um... I'm trying to remember who else was in that scene. I know straight up Satan was in that scene.
1: <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> and the guy from the Street Fighter. Anyways. All that to say, I think you're right. We're seeing a lot of that analysis of what does it mean to be bad and what does it mean to be good. And I'm really enjoying the bad guy not being that bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just such a big shift because I feel like life, like we talk about, goes in cycles. So we've gone through a phase where we had this idea of good and bad being within the same people, and then at some point within our media and our storytelling, we had just evil people who were just there to do evil things and to cause conflict that the hero then had to solve. And now we've kind of shifted our mindset and storytelling again where we want these vibrant stories of people who aren't all bad and people who aren't all good. We want very nuanced characters and I think if we're talking about cycles, eventually we're gonna have to go through the cycle again where we go and see just characters who are pure evil for the sake of being evil. And a lot of it does come from I guess just humans because we want new things, we want to always push the boundaries, And so if we keep going towards the idea of these antagonists who aren't really antagonists who are like kind of protagonists like loki for instance um that eventually people are going to want to see something different and the difference to that is going to be just pure evil people who want to do things solely because there's no like greater cause there's no greater reason for their evilness they just happen to want to be evil and then eventually we'll get tired of that and then we'll go back to, you know, so I think it's, it's something that's going to we're going to keep dealing with as we, you know, grow up, as we keep consuming media is how do we write these characters that so we don't get bored of them too quickly and then we don't switch completely back to just bad guys.
0: So I don't know how much this is related, but I think the one of the reasons why we're seeing this shift in storytelling is in like 1930s or whatever. They created this thing called the Motion Picture Production Code, which essentially was these guidelines that every movie had to follow of, like, mm-hmm. what could be your protagonist. Like, no female could be a protagonist, for one. You know, it always had to be, like, a straight man, essentially. And there was just, like, a lot of these very restrictive of what could be seen as a good guy, what could be seen as a bad guy. Oh, yeah, I'm pulling it up here. So, yeah, it was from 1934 to 1954. Which seems still like a long time ago, but if you think about it, for like 20 years, they had these rules in place. So every movie had a very similar idea of what was good and what was bad, and tropes were developed in that time. So people who are consuming the media at the time, as much as they might have wanted to break away, this is what they grew up on. So they're going to kind of emulate that a bit in their writing going forward for the next couple of years. So I feel like even though. We're way out. all it's like, what, 60 years or so since that has not been really a thing anymore. We're now getting past the point where people are emulating what they saw as kids. And we're Mm -hmm. really able to start completely breaking down more of what what we see. I know that's just movies, but I feel like movies do have a big impact, especially on Western culture of like how people see stuff. And that does extend to TV shows. I know some people are like, oh, who watches movies anymore? Guys, (laughs) movies are great. One. Two movies led into TV shows. Okay, movies, TV shows are essentially just long extended movies at this point, it, they all affect each other, anyways. I would suspect that has played a big impact on how we view good and evil today in our media. Fox, we can talk about good and evil all day. Wait, is it because there are two of us, does one of us by default need to be evil? I volunteer as tribute to be the evil twin. With that said. Us as the good and evil twin spirits here, will lead into our five fantastic finds. Number one. While the Sky Woman made a grand entrance falling from space and all, sorry to say, this isn't really original. This trope is known as the fall-in Angel. A beautiful woman will fall from the sky and will collide into our protagonist, quickly pulling them into the plot, as many questions often arise when someone falls from the sky. Sometimes they are divine, like Sky Woman, and they are literally falling from the heavens. Other times they are just clumsy and simply falling off a building. Or they fall while in flight as seen with Sheeta in Studio Ghibli's Castle in the Sky. But the fall is not always graceful, nor do they need to directly make contact with the protagonist when they land. In The Fifth Element, Lilu leaps out from Skyscraper and lands right into Dallas's car. Other times, they land farther away, like in 2017's Wonder Woman film, when Steve Trevor's plane crashes into Themyscira, and Diana must go and rescue him. That's right, sometimes the beauty falling from the sky is crisp pine.
1: Number 2. Tree of Life In this myth, we see the Crabapple Tree as the gateway to the lower world of water. Only by removing the tree does the Great Spirit see the lower world and decide to send his daughter down. The tree does not die in most versions of this tale. Specifically in some, the tree also falls down the pit and becomes the basis of the earth that grows on the turtle's back. This connection to the apple tree can be connected to the Christian imagery of the forbidden fruit tree in the Garden of Eden that contained knowledge of good and evil, which was infamously misinterpreted as an apple tree. Trees of life and knowledge form a popular mythical archetype and center of power, life, immortality, or knowledge. Some other examples include the Norse tree, Yggdrasil, that Odin hung upside down off of in order to obtain knowledge, the Tree of Eternal Life from the Epic of Gilgamesh, and the Persian Goa Karina, which gave immortality.
0: Number three. Why can't divine brothers just get along? Maybe because they are inherently different and they have a twin complex? Were they fighting in the womb? Or is it simply poetic for one to manifest as the embodiment of light, order, and all things good? while the other represents darkness, chaos, and evil. Either way, it is a common theme in stories for there to be a constant battle between the forces of good and evil. Sometimes this is a general concept, or there are magical forces in the world that are constantly fighting. Or, like in our tale today, sometimes these forces are tied to a specific deity that are locked in an eternal struggle. Often, these stories will be resolved with good winning out, but with the acknowledgement that evil will one day return. Sometimes, stories will go so far as to claim that there must always be a balance between good and evil, or else something far worse would become of the world. For a textbook example of this, we'll go to a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars' main stick is the Force, which surrounds and embodies all living things. It also enables special individuals with telekinesis abilities, among other things. There is a light side used by Jedi Knights and a dark side used by Sith Lords. There is even a prophecy of one who will bring balance to the Force. And every movie always comes back to focusing on this sole idea. Can good still win? And should it always win? In the first trilogy, we see the result of Jedi, the light side, becoming complacent in their time of peace. In the original trilogy, we can see the result of darkness and evil taking hold of the galaxy when there is so little light to counteract it. And the third trilogy… well, we see what happens when there is no clear vision for a franchise. All will to say, Star Wars is a very clear-cut example of examining those themes of light and darkness, good and evil.
1: Number 4, Creation Stories. Creation myths tell the story of how a people and a world came to be. Through oral storytelling, a lot of First Nation stories mix science, historical events, natural phenomena, and community. We have stories from the First Nations that describe constellations, climate change, human nature, survival, and so much more. These stories are often transmitted from generation to generation through song, dance, and art. The importance of these stories is evident in the way they connect the people to the world in a cycle of spiritual interdependence and gratitude. This cylindrical thinking of time creates unity within nature. As the day goes by, so do we. As there is evil, so there is good. Men and animal are kin, made by the same spirit, and are all grandchildren of the earth mother. The story we told today was just one version of hundreds that differ between tribes. It is not a mythology or religion that has just one correct take. And number five.
0: In today's tale, the great turtle offers his back to become the Earth and home for Sky Woman. Today, we refer to this piece of land as North America. That is one large turtle. But surprise, surprise, this is not the only story to feature an island or continent on the back of a turtle or another aquatic creature. But if it is a turtle, the proper term for this is Aspidecologne. And when you have an official term like this describing your fantastical setting, You know it's a common thing humans like to add to their stories. This Turtle Island trope appears in all sorts of stories from all over the world. We mentioned earlier about the great lion turtle from Avatar The Last Airbender, and while it does appear in its sequel series, Legend of Korra, it is primarily seen on land there and would then be referred to as a turtle hill rather than Turtle Island. We also see this trope embodied by the continent Pokemon Torterra. Torterra appears to be a giant green and brown tortoise, with a small tree and mountain range on its back. In the Detective Pikachu movie, these Pokemon are genetically modified to grow gigantic. So this trope was played straight, as our protagonists do not realize they're on the back of a Torterra before it's too late. Well, travelers, that's it for now. Fox and I are going to explore more of the Enchanted Forest and find new tales to share with you for next time.
1: If you want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be, come join us anytime on Twitter at From Enchanted or Instagram at Tales from the Chant Forest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromthechantforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions, so if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. Thank you so much, travelers. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest.
0: So Spar- or Fox better get back quickly, and I'll just come up with a couple transitions. Okay, we hope you are ready to follow the story like we are. This story means a lot to us. It's a very personal story for us. This story will enchant you, as it brings together such unique elements together. Everything from a giant turtle to... I don't know. Coming up on Tales from the Enchanted Forest, we have a tale as big and bold as time itself. It involves a sky woman coming down from above, falling to the earth, but there is no earth, it's only ocean, whatever shall she do? She will have to rely on locals such as the muskrat, the loon, and the beaver. These animals will combine forces, in making a home for her, some of them will not get back alive. Tune in this fall from Tales from the Enchanted Forest when we cover Sky Woman: the creation series.
1: Okay, I'm back.
0: <laughs> wow, that was perfect timing.